Hello and welcome to the BMJ's podcast. I'm Sophie Cook, UK Research Editor. Not all physical symptoms can be explained by medical conditions and a proportion of patients will have ongoing symptoms that prompt them to present to health professionals on multiple occasions. A recent Uncertainties article in the BMJ delves into this issue and considers what to do in this situation. I'm joined on the phone today by the authors of this article, Madeleine Denbuff, a general practitioner, and Nikki Klassen van Dessel, a GP trainee from the Department of General Practice and Elderly Care Medicine at Amsterdam Public Health Research Institute. Madeleine and Nikki, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having us. For the benefit of those who haven't read the article yet, can we clarify what do we mean when we refer to persistent unexplained symptoms? Physical symptoms. Uh, we know that they are common and in this article we mean the persistent physical symptoms uh, that last at least three months and insufficiently explained by a medical condition um, after adequate examination and investigations are done. Examples are of uh, physical symptoms are uh, fatigue, um, headaches, dizziness, um, stomach aches, that kind of symptoms. You, you mentioned the need for adequate examination, Madeleine, and investigation before arriving at this diagnosis. I suppose this is quite difficult in practice because the term adequate is, is quite subjective. Is there any way to elaborate on that? Um, yes, I agree. Adequate is, is, is uh, quite subjective, but I, I, I guess um, you have to um, carefully listen uh, to the story the patients that um, the story that the patient is telling to you and, and the symptoms he presents and then um, each uh, symptom or each complaint can need a, a different examination. So it's, uh, it's personalized, I guess. Nikki, how common are this, is this situation of persistent unexplained symptoms likely to be encountered in a non-specialist setting? Do we have any data on this? Yeah, there has been many studies about the prevalence of uh, persistent unexplained symptoms um, and results vary widely because of the uh, definition of unexplained symptoms um, well, and other study aspects. But uh, when we summarize the results, we can say that about 20 to 50 percent of all uh, symptoms, symptoms presented in primary care uh, can be unexplained um, and out of these symptoms up to 30 percent uh, keep persisting so that's uh, well quite a high number. Yeah so in terms of say a UK general practitioner that's going to be quite a fair few number of patients even per week or per month. Yeah mm-hmm. exactly. Is there any um, any data to suggest that this affects particular populations more frequently? Uh, are there any demographics that are associated with this Perhaps Madeline, if you could answer that. Yeah, um, there are observational studies, and uh, they report that uh, that it are mostly women that uh, they um, they present these symptoms, and uh, the age range is uh, between well 35, 45 years mostly. But they are also common in in, in women uh, a bit younger than that age, but mostly women. <laughs> In the article, you touch on how it is really very difficult to define persistent unexplained symptoms and that there are various categories which seems to complicate things further. You've got a very nice box which sort of summarises the different uh, the different syndromes or, or, or sort of symptom classifications. I wondered if you could briefly explain that for people who haven't read the article uh, in, in terms of the different types of disorders which fall into this bracket. Nikki, maybe you could do that for us. 
Yes, of course. Um, well, the overarching term, I think, is the term that we used, uh, uh, which is persistent unexplained physical symptoms. And this term, well, describes all symptoms that last for at least three months and uh, which are not sufficiently explained by an underlying medical condition. But uh, there are also other, I think, more strict terms in use. Uh, one of them are the somatoform disorders. And these are um, described by the DSM-4, the Psychiatric well, Handbook of Di Diagnosis. Recently, the DSM-5 has been uh, uh, published. But the old somatoform disorders, um, well, generally describe physical symptoms which are unexplained and which last for at least six months. And the new DSM-5 describes somatic symptom disorders, uh, but do not focus on unexplained symptoms anymore. Um, so actually only the old DSM-5-4 uh, diagnosis is relevant for this uh, article. And of course you have the functional somatic syndromes, uh, which are, well, uh, uh, there are many of them, but examples are the irritable bowel syndrome, um, chronic fatigue syndrome, but there are many, many more. And these syndromes all describe uh, kind of subtypes of unexplained physical symptoms. So the irritable bowel syndrome describe uh, uh, functional uh, symptoms in which uh, intestinal problems are uh, the key of the problem. And chronic fatigue syndrome describes uh, the symptoms in which fatigue is the, the most uh, uh, important problem. But I think they can all be brought under the, the big umbrella term, unexplained physical symptoms. So in this article, you looked for evidence to support both pharmacological and non-pharmacological treatments in this situation. What did you find, Madeleine? Well, in general, we find that there, there, well, there is a lack of evidence and the evidence is, well, it's limited and the quality of the evidence is, is, is quite poor. So that was the overall conclusion that um, that there was significant heterogeneity and um, all, all studies used variant variations in diagnostic criteria and um, intervention delivery. Um, well, everything actually, outcome measures, follow-up duration. So that was the overall uh, conclusion that we gave in the article of the four Cochrane reviews that we examined. We looked at four four Cochrane reviews. The first was was our own, actually, about non pharmacological interventions, um, and we found that only uh, cognitive behavioral therapy had a small uh, beneficial uh, effect on persistent unexplained symptoms. Um, for pharmacological treatments, um, we had we found that there was no clear evidence of uh, the efficacy of tricyclic antidepressants. Uh, but we find found um, that uh, the, the serotonin reuptake inhibitors were slightly effective and even a bit more in combination with antipsychotics. Those were the most important conclusions of, uh, of, of the non-pharmacological and pharmacological interventions. So I, I noted that at the end of your article, you summarized this very nicely and said that you you consider cognitive behavioural therapy worth offering, but that you advise against using pharmacological therapy in this instance. Is that right? Yeah, that we gave that advice, especially because pharmacological interventions, um, because of the quality of the studies, was not that great. And um, because uh, the follow-up duration was short and there are also a lot of side effects that patients um they can suffer from the side effects of the pharmacological intervention. So 
um, if, if a patient really wants to try a pharmacological inter intervention like, like a SSRI, then of course you can discuss it, but it would not be our first choice of therapy to give, especially because of the side effects and the, the quality of the evidence that now exists. Sure. And I suppose in those situations, you have to have a very detailed discussion explaining those sort of levels of uncertainty and, and question marks around the evidence and, and help the patient to sort of make an informed decision. Yes, exactly. In terms of talking to patients about the, the, the this diagnosis of, of persistent unexplained symptoms, obviously, it's important to sort of share the uncertainty with patients. How do you do that in practice? Do you have any tips on, on how to go about this in consultations? Uh, yes, well, I think the most important part of that is uh, to start with proper investigation of the symptoms. So um, you cannot tell to the patients uh, that the symptoms are unexplained if you did not investigate all aspects of the symptoms. So that's, I think, part one. Um, and if you had done that, so if you had a, a conversation about all symptoms and about all aspects of those symptoms, and if you had a proper medical examination, including physical examination, but also lab tests or other uh, analysis, if those are needed, well, then you can conclude together with the patient that all examinations have been done, uh, but that no underlying condition um, has been established. And then it's good to, uh, I think, to explicitly tell the patient that, well, not being able to identify an underlying condition does not completely exclude there being one, uh, but that, um, well, all current knowledge does not lead to one, so that the patient uh, has to deal with the symptoms and that you are uh, in a position to help the patient uh, to go on with the symptoms and to um, uh, yeah, make them less heavy to, to bear for the patient. And in terms of doctors managing the uncertainties, and I wondered if you had any tips on, on how doctors can ensure that these patients are followed up appropriately or how best to work with the patients to ensure that you're, you're keeping an eye on things, I suppose. Yeah, I think that. Well, I think you 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 gave the answer in your question. Uh, what I would suggest is exactly to to make appointments about follow up and to ensure the patient that um, that they can come back to you anytime they have um, worries or when symptoms change. And uh, and and I think you should make a plan with your patient that um, well explaining uh, about what's happening to him and, 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 and talking about the symptoms is one thing, but then it's just like a 10 or 20 minutes consultation and um, uh, well, then the patient go, goes home and he still has the symptoms. So I think it's important to, to uh, ask the patient to come back in, uh, in two weeks or four weeks and talk about it again uh, if anything changed or uh, Things like that. And if something changed and the patient tells you that, then you have to look at the problem again and do examinations or investigations again and at least talk about it. So follow up and, um, and careful listening and make and ensuring the patient that it's okay to come back when he has questions or symptom change. That's uh, I think that's what I would suggest. Mm -hmm. And also, I suppose you, you picked up on that very nicely. Maybe when people come in and see you with the same symptom again, just maybe thinking about it with a fresh pair of ears and eyes and, and, and make sure you don't just put it down to the persistent unexplained symptoms. I suppose it's just always having that flexibility to revisit things if you feel there has been a change as well. 
Yeah. 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 And taking your patients serious. And then finally, I I just wondered about what research is on the horizon in terms of this particular situation. Is there any any evidence that we can expect to come anytime soon that might change things or might add to the underlying body of evidence? Um, Well, there are um, there is uh, some ongoing research and uh, but not that much, actually. Um, there are, I think, 10 uh, ongoing trials, at least at the moment, um, um, randomized controlled trials, more or less uh, evaluating non-pharmacological interventions. And those included uh, psychotherapy, um, uh, several multidisciplinary interventions by uh, taking a neurologist, psychologist, or any other therapist together. Um, and there was, there was a walking uh, therapy um, um, a trial, um, and there are also there are also some trials with pharmacological interventions. So, um, yeah, we have to wait and see what uh, what the results of those studies are. Well, we believe that there are very um, there are many therapies that patients uh, uh, get enthusiastic about or that are offered in in practice, uh, which are not studied uh, that much yet, um, especially exercise therapies. Um, and we believe that it's very important to study those more in future trials to, to see if they are effective. Um, and also we uh, believe that most studies that have been performed up to now include patients with uh, very severe symptoms, which exist for many, many years. And, well, for practice, it might also be useful which, uh, to know which interventions are useful for patients with shorter symptoms and who present... Uh, with symptoms that just uh, yeah are, are new to the patients, so that would also be uh, a focus for future uh, research. We think. Madeline and Nikki, thank you for joining us today. And you can read the full article, a BMJ Uncertainties article, "How Should We Manage Adult Patients with Persistent Unexplained Symptoms," on BMJ.com now. <laughs>